Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of the Geek Roulette Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Mike Spriegel. I'm not going to sing. I'm your other host, John Lundquist. I, I find this very disappointing, your lack of singing. I know we agreed this was going to be the musical episode, but I just I don't have it in me, so I'm sorry. I suppose you don't have it in you. But you know what? It's not about our singing. It's about the Geek Roulette Podcast. Thank you, everybody, for listening. I'm still Mike Spriegel, and that's still John Lundquist. Yes. Last time I checked, at least. Mm-hmm. Uh, our episode today, we are going to discuss the first four episodes of Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Or should it be Winter Soldier and Falcon? I don't know. You decide. I won't decide. That's not up to me. They got people that make much more money than make these decisions. So we'll they talk do. about how uh, the series is going so far compared to its predecessor, WandaVision. Um you know, what's good, what's not good. There's not much that's not good. And uh, amongst other things. And before we do that, housekeeping. We're on social media. Find us on Facebook and Twitter. You can follow us and tell me the Stop Singing In episodes. Do we actually tweet? Do you tweet for us? I, I haven't tweeted in a while. I should. I don't I don't tweet like at all, so I wouldn't know. Like you could say, you know, I tweet every day on the hour or something. I, I, I would have no way to know because I don't do twit. I, tweet I, I should just make this now where I just bash you horribly on Twitter. Like, sorry about the podcast, everyone. My co host this sucks. Oh God, he's the worst. Such such dead weight. Who wants to replace him? Yeah. Ah, there's been no takers, unfortunately. Woof. <laughs> yep. Job security. Come, come, come take my paycheck, everyone. Yeah, once I get you one. Wait, you're holding on to them? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Don't worry, though. I'll invest them wisely. They're in the mail. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's, uh, let's do recommendations. Let's say the things that we like that we've been watching, seeing, doing, listening, reading, or whatnot lately. I'm going to go first, so that way you don't poach what I'm going to do because you keep threatening. I'm going to say it's Invincible, the latest Amazon.com series uh, that is based on the Robert Kirkman, you may know him from Walking Dead creator, who uh, had a comic Invincible, which ran, I think, 142 issues, if my memory serves right, and they adapted it into a cartoon on Amazon. It's amazing. Uh, the voice actors are great. Stephen Ewan is uh, play doing a Mark Grayson. You have J.K. Simmons as his father, who's Omni Man. There's Jason Manzukis. You have uh, uh, Gillian Jillian Jacobs. Uh, you have Zachary Kinto in it. There's just so many different things. It's about a teenage per boy who gets his superpowers, and he's the son of a famous superhero. And the adaptation definitely covers, I think, a lot of the various elements from the first year of the comic. I will say there is a lot of profanity, blood, and gore in the series. So it is not a series for kids, unless not you like your kids watching it. If you like your kids watching that sort of thing, then all right, go ahead, you know, corrupt them. Yeah, you do that. We're not going to tell you how to parent, but yeah. Well, how old were you when you first watched RoboCop? Um... How old am I? How old were you when you've, you've never seen RoboCop? I don't think I've seen all of it. I've seen most of oh, it. Oh, dear. What is your problem? <laughs> I was, yeah. The R-rated things were not a thing in my house growing up. Indeed. Can you hear the sign? <sighs> oh, 
Damn it. All right. I saw RoboCop at the age of probably 13. And I would say that that is probably the level of gore and swearing and stuff that you would see in Invincible. Don't let the animation fool you. But uh, it's it's being reviewed amazingly. Rotten Tomatoes has a tremendous score. Last I saw, about 95%. Your viewer ratings are great. The only one outlet I've seen that has been bashing it, and they can go to hell is IGN. For some reason, they wrote a horrible review of it, and then they had the audacity like a week or two later then to do like an editorial piece about how the comic is not doing, or the show's not doing the comic justice. Almost like doubling down or trying to defend the review. And the comment section even said that of that. It's like, yeah, you're just right now trying to defend the horrible take of your review at this point, but great show. Well, I mean, I'll, I'll give them, like, you know, not everybody's going to like everything, you know, so, I mean, you know, they have their right to say they don't like it or something, but I don't know. I don't double, know. You know like, like like you said, though, to double down and just say, you know, hey, no, it sucks and we're right, is seems a little, little much. Right. I mean, it'd be different if there was a lot more mixed reviews. I think that adds some credence to it. But, like, when you're, like, the lone voice out there and you're a pretty big outlet saying, oh, this isn't good at all. Ah, man, I, that's not good. I don't know. But this isn't the Bash IGN, uh, you know, podcast, although we could make it. They're normally okay, but I've been finding the reviews lately have either been too wishy-washy, like openly optimistic about garbage things. Like, they were gushing over the Zack Snyder cut, which I haven't seen. I assume you have. I mean, would you gush over it? I, I have not seen it because what nothing, nothing that I, I don't want to waste, like, five hours of my life and none of the reviews I saw out there were anything that can, you know, like it was either Zack Snyder fans or, Oh my God, this is so great. Or people that were just like, eh, it's mildly better than the original one. And since I didn't really care for the original one, I'm like, I don't really feel like wasting that much time watching something that's mildly better than something I didn't really like in the first place. So I might at some point break it into, cause I've heard it's in like three chapters. I might at some point break it into three chapters and like do an hour of it a night or something like that. But I'm not in any rush. I think the worst thing, though, is that what this is now emboldened everybody is like everybody's now released the and then insert name here cut. Like somebody I know pointed this out on Facebook, and I agree because now everybody's like, they should do like the higher cut of Suicide Squad. I'm like, no, they shouldn't. They shouldn't make any cut. There's a reason we got the version movie. We got it. I mean, yes, Warner Brothers probably interferes horribly with all their movies, but we don't need every director's cut possible because not every director's cut's good. No. They aren't. Yeah. What's your recommendation? I'm going to recommend Invincible the Comic. No, I'm kidding. Although, yeah. really, you should go out and read Invincible the Comic. I haven't read all of it, but what I have read is good. So you should read it, but that's not my recommendation. I am going to recommend the Wolverine podcast, which I may have recommended the first series of it because there was a first season that I listened to, I think, a couple of years ago. I forget what the name of it was. There's a new season I just listened to called Wolverine the Lost Trail, and it's Wolverine going down to Louisiana, which, of course, he runs into Gambit down there and some other shenanigans happen. I don't want to give away too much of it. Um, but it's just a really good, well-done story podcast. You know, you get Wolverine being Wolverine. He runs into some crazy stuff. There's, of course, other mutants besides Gambit. You're going to see that, you know. Um, it's just really well done. Um, the voice acting's really well on it. It's got nice soundscape to it. Um, they're not super long. They're like half hour, maybe 40 minutes at the most each, and there's, I think, 10 of them in this season um 
And it's just really well done. If you like the good story podcast where you can just kind of listen to it, you know, almost like an audio book, um, you can definitely do a heck of a lot worse. Um, this one is Wolverine, The Last Trail. And I'm sure if you search Wolverine podcast, you'll find the first season too. I can't remember what that one was called, but that takes place up in Alaska. And it was also very well done as well, if you haven't listened to that one. But they're both pretty good. Um, and there is a Marvel's one that is based off of the comic book of the same name that I'm going to get into as well pretty soon. I've got the first two episodes downloaded, but have not gotten to them. But if they're as good as the Wolverine ones, those should be pretty good as well. So, yeah, check out the Wolverine podcast. I think we shall. All right. Oh, yeah. Let's move on to our arbitrary list. And our latest arbitrary list we came up with. Since we're dealing with a show like uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier, which deals with a succession of Captain America, we decided to make our top three favorite successors or replacements of characters in like in a legacy sense, you know, where, you know, there's a hero or character that's replaced by a different one. You know, I, I guess a good example of this, and I'm not picking this, but like Doctor Who is an example. Like, you know, they have dozens and dozens of Who. And that's if, you know, you want to go that. So uh, top three, John, why don't you go first? Well, I was going to pick actually Bucky as Captain America for one of mine. Um, so I'll give him an honorable mention because he did take over in the Ed Brubaker run. I thought he did a really good job. I thought, you know, when they, you know, quote unquote, killed Captain America, I actually for a minute thought that they're actually going to keep Bucky as the, the replacement Captain America because it was so well written and well done. But they didn't. Um, my pick is going to be actually Wally West as the Flash. Um, he took over after um, Barry Allen, who actually took over after Jay Garrick as well. Um, and I think he just, I feel, embodied the character and the spirit that you want of, out of the Flash a lot more than either of his two predecessors did. You know, he kind of carried on the mantle. He still had, you know, the same costume or basically the same costume. Um, and with Mark Wade writing him for, you know, quite a while, I don't remember how long he had, but he had a pretty good, healthy run on him. You know, he had a great supporting cast. Um, stories were really well done, and he was a character that you kind of, you liked, and he, he was something that you could root for. He was almost, I don't want to say he was like the Spider-Man or Peter Parker of of DC, but that's kind of the right line of thinking, I think, you know, he you know because Spider-Man had his really good supporting cast and stuff like that. I think it played a little bit more into Spider-Man than it did with, with Wally and the Flash, but... um. But I do feel like Wally's kind of, when I think of The Flash, I think of Wally West, and it's easy, I think, to forget that there were a couple more people that had the role before him. Um, and I don't know, has anybody really taken after him? I know Impulse did for a brief period of time, I think, but is Wally West still the current Flash? No, it's Barry. I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, like, DC Comics over the past, like, 10 years can go the hell i bet yeah yeah they've they've been a hot mess and i'll i'll say this like my pick also i had wally west in there as well too and i think what made wally i think such a great character is that he had an amazing supporting cast he came from being you know a sidekick in the sense of being in the titans and that eventually almost you would say having to be forced to take over the mantle after barry allen died in the crisis of infinite earth crossover back in the 80s and then that was the whole deal about the comic was him trying to overcome overcome the shadow of his predecessor who was well regarded, well liked, and well loved, and becoming his own person. And he did, and I think he became eventually the iconic Flash in so many different ways. I think it was easier to identify with Wally and his plight of trying to grow as a person, and then eventually going from being you know a sidekick to becoming 
a hero to even becoming a mentor himself with him mentoring other people. So Wally was always great. And then they did Wally amazingly wrong. It was in the 2000s, and that's when they started doing the whole spiel about then all of the darker DC storylines, and Wally kind of went away in that sense. He eventually came back, but I honestly, I think that Wally's run through the entire 90s was probably one of the best Flash runs you would ever read, and there's some purists that'll go on about, you know, uh, Barry Allen being one of the better Flashes. No, it, it's always been Wally West. Yes, agree. Wally's the man. Um, since that was yours, I will go take the next one. Uh, my next is going to be Miles Morales for Spider-Man. Um, I feel we haven't really even seen like the whole, the full potential with this, and I haven't read as much Miles Morales as I would like, but I feel like he, they did a good mix with him, I feel, of mixing. You know, you get some Spider-Man stuff, you know, like he's got similar powers, but he's also got his own. But he's also just a completely different character. You know, this isn't somebody that Peter Parker mentored and some accident happened with the two of them and he got his powers. He got his powers kind of in a similar way, um, but not quite. And it was, he was actually, the, you could really get into it. He was, you know, from the Ultimate Universe Spider-Man. Um, but I, I just feel like he's kind of come into his own as a character where you, you think of Miles Morales Spider-Man as his own thing in a way I feel like you do more so than a lot of, legacy characters out there you know like miles morales is kind of his own thing and you know i'm watching it i think even it goes to show that you know that uh into the spider-verse which is you know obviously a miles morales movie is probably my favorite spider-man movie that's out there right now and you know miles morales is obviously the main feature of that is you know kind of his coming into the you know the role of spider-man and just yeah it's just good stuff so uh yeah miles morales I think Miles, you know, his original origins in the Ultimate Marvel Universe, you know, was good, especially replacing Peter Parker and then coming into it as character on his own. I agree, I think, with you is that he hasn't reached his full potential yet, but he's definitely, I, I, I think maybe the better way you even look at it is that one thing about Spider-Man is this, is that he's kind of almost become Batman in the sense and not in the whole detective sense, but where he's building a family of support characters around him. Just like now, you know, Batman has like multiple Robins and other individuals who assist and aid him, like, you know, the Huntress and even Dick Grayson as, you know, Nightwing. I think Spider-Man's gotten that too now where he has, you know, Spider-Gwen, he has Silk, he has now Miles Morales. He's gaining quite a big, you know, surrounded group on there. So definitely a, a huge boon to the Marvel Universe. Uh, my next one... So you gave an honorable mention. I had to go on the fence on this. I wasn't sure. I I couldn't say who was the better successor to Captain America. Is it Bucky Barnes or is it Sam Wilson as Falcon? Both have had turns as being Captain America. Bucky first after the death because everybody always dies in comics of Captain America. He took over the mantle. And I think it's hard because with Bucky... His arc was much more of a redemptive arc, trying to atone for a lot of the sins and mistakes that he made in the past under the control of the brainwashing as he was the Winter Soldier. So for him, it's trying to live up to the image of one of the greatest men he's ever admired. Versus you have Sam Wilson, who took prominence in the role of Captain America, trying to make it definitely almost a combination of its own thing, where he was both Falcon and Captain America, and it's trying to uphold and respect the legacy of a man who is a close friend of him. So 
I'm lumping the two together because I feel there was so much time, I think, in the late two, uh, you know, late through 2000s and, you know, even the 2010s. I don't know. It's weird trying to refer to those decades as that, but yeah, but uh, I, I think there was a lot of time that Captain America spent not being Captain America. And I think those two definitely filled in admirably and brought uh, something different to the table. Agreed. I didn't read a whole lot of the Falcon as Captain America thing, but I've heard good things about it. So um, I would give it to Bucky myself, but I'm certainly not going to begrudge you Falcon or wanting to lump them together. Um, my last one is not really a cheat because he has taken the mantle, um, and that is Dick Grayson for Batman. He has taken it once or twice, like when Batman's gotten the crap beaten out of him. Um, and I just feel like Dick Grayson kind of does... A does Batman very well. I mean, he was, you know, he was trained by the man, you know, grew up, you know, learning that life as a vigilante and and all that. So I think he, he A plays the part of being a superhero vigilante very well, but I also think he's not necessarily he's still his own man. He still feels like he's not beholden to doing things the way that Bruce did things, you know. I feel like he kind of does things the way he wants to and the way he feels right. He's not going, you know, he doesn't feel like he's living in Bruce's shadow. He's going to take this thing and and do it the way he feels is right and what he feels is the right way to do it. Um, and I'm always kind of bummed that, you know, whenever they do, you know, they did that big arc with, oh, what was his name? Who took over with the bad armor? Azrael. Um, and he kind of turned into this crazy psycho guy. Um, but I don't know. And he was in there for a good year, I want to say. But they, I feel like every time they have uh, Dick Grayson take over, it's always for just these quick little short stories. Um and it just doesn't really last very well. I feel like if they gave him some room to breathe, he'd be be really good at it. Um, but they just never seem to for some reason. Even now, I think they're doing this whole, like you said, DC's been kind of crazy these last few years, and now they're doing these future stories where other characters have taken over a lot of the superheroes, and I don't think Dick Grayson is Batman. Somebody else's is from what I know, but you know, I feel like that's a missed opportunity. But Dick Grayson, Batman, that's my third one. See, I would actually disagree with that. I feel Dick Grayson always was better being Nightwing and not Batman. Did he take over as Batman? Yes. But I always feel that with Dick, for Batman, I was always about trying to make sure that Dick didn't fall down the same path that Batman did. And I feel that's where you look at the achievements Dick had as like Nightwing. I, I feel he should always been Nightwing. I I understand the logical, you know, progression of him taking over the role a few times as Batman, but I never really liked him as Batman. I always preferred him always as Nightwing. He, yeah, and that's the thing is he is a good Nightwing too. So I mean, it's, you know, I feel like it's kind of one of those you can't really have your cake and eat it type things. So I feel he'd be good as a Batman, but then you kind of do lose, lose him as being Nightwing in in that role as well. I don't get that saying. Don't have your cake and eat it. If I have the cake, why can't I eat the cake? Because then you don't have the cake anymore. Well, that's fine, but I had the cake. Yes, had, though, past tense. You mm -hmm. no longer have it. Right. But if I don't eat the cake, then I don't have the cake, and eventually it rots. So I don't exactly. get that saying. Exactly. No, not exactly. Nobody likes rotten cake. It's bad news. Mm, I think rats would. Maybe. Rats aren't too picky, I suppose. All right. My last uh, choice for a successor... I thought about this, and there was a lot of different you know ones I could take. Then I thought about can ones characters that have not only took over the mantle, but I feel grew and exceeded beyond the mantle and became something better in the process. And I think the first character I'll refer to is going to be James Rhodes, 
who took over the mantle of Iron Man for a period of time and eventually went on and became his own thing with War Machine. Um, during a storyline in the 80s, Tony Stark was having horrible crippling alcoholism, which made it so that he wasn't able to perform the duties of Iron Man. Uh, James Rhodes then eventually took over as Iron Man and did so for years uh, until eventually giving the armor back. Well, not even giving back. There was both, at a period of time, almost two Iron Men, too, where there was both the Rhodes and Stark version. But eventually he would get his own combat armor, becoming War Machine. Now, when he became War Machine, it was close to the 90s, so with that... You kind of have that hokey, extreme old machine guns and bang bangs and bullet bullets, but I think he kind of weathered that and eventually still went on to become his own character who was very strong in his own right. And I feel it's also very notable the fact that Marvel really did not have a prominent black superhero. I mean, the closest they would have at that time, you know, when he was taken over, was probably Storm from the X Men, and that's it. Even Falcon, who had existed years before him, unfortunately, was uh, related to more of a side character. So for him to take over such an iconic role of Iron Man, I think, was also a huge achievement forward when you think about it culturally as well. So uh, James Rhodes, War Machine slash Iron Man. Interesting call, but not a bad one. Mm Mm-hmm. All right, let's, uh, let's move on to the main topic. Let's talk about Falcon and Winter Soldier. Uh, we'll maybe do a quick, brief, spoiler-free version, I guess, of our thoughts on this, uh, and then kind of really just spoil the hell out of it at this point. Uh, I think the best spoiler-free way, way to go about it is this. Premise is it's uh, regarding uh, several months after Sam Wilson received the shield from uh, Steve Rogers at the end of Endgame. He then, you know, gives up the shield to go into the Smithsonian, but then the government has their own plans, thinking that they need a Captain America to maintain face. There's an entire subplot involving uh, an organization called the Flag Smashers, who are about being a country without borders. There's that gray line of them being, are they terrorists or are they freedom fighters? And what is right, as well as the new Captain America, who would go on... Uh, to be in the comics to be U.S. agents, but I mean in the you know series, John Walker takes over as Captain America, a military person. Uh, he has his own struggles trying to maintain definitely insurmountable amount of pressure, and there's a lot of political intrigue in this. This definitely follows, I think, a lot of the beats and vibes that you find in uh, the Captain America Winter Soldier movie that came out 2015. Uh, it does a good job trying to explain some more of the post-blip Marvel world and how the world changed with all the heroes being gone. It brings back uh, definitely, uh, I think, an amazing version of a villain that I wish we would have gotten in a previous Marvel movie itself in terms of Baron Zemo. But uh, overall, four episodes in, I feel it's been a very strong, strong entry into the Marvel universe. Your thoughts? Yeah, I would agree. I think it's definitely a lot more of a slow burn than, like, say, WandaVision was. Um, this isn't one where the cliffhangers and, you, you know, where it's like, I have to find out what's going on. It's it's much more straightforward, I feel, in its storytelling. Um, but that doesn't mean there's little nuances and whatnot that you can't, you know, pick up on and whatnot. I feel that there is a lot, you know, happening here if you're paying attention. And like you said, the I feel like the villain with the flag smashers in, I can't think of the leader's name. Carrie. Um, 
Yes. But that they're doing a good job of kind of making them where they're the villain. You know, you always hear that, you know, the, the best villains are the ones that don't think they're actually doing anything wrong. You know, the villain, they think they're the heroes. And that's definitely the case here where they feel like they're helping the world by doing the things that they're doing. You know, they, they want to get the world back to this, you know, during the blip where they feel like that, you know, the world was a lot more welcoming. They're like the world kind of came together as one. And then when everybody came back, everybody just went back to the same old wars and the same old grudges. And, you know, they're like, and things were better back when there were, you know, not as many people around causing problems. And there was more, you know, they, they basically, basically they agree with Thanos in a nutshell. Um, that's just kind of intriguing to see how each character, you know, kind of, if, you know, some of them, kind of agree with them some of them don't necessarily and it's just kind of interesting to see how they play off of each of the, all of that but it's been it's been a very interesting it's been like i said a lot more of a slow burn but i think it's it's been paying that off where you could see these characters doing their things you know i mean the first episode you know falcon and winter soldier don't even meet at all it's not until the second episode you know so you kind of get to see them doing their separate things and what they're doing out in the world and it's been uh it's been good stuff like you said i feel it definitely has that kind of old spy movie feel to it you know it's like you said it's definitely got the feel of winter, uh, captain america winter soldier where you know the russo brothers did where it has a very much a 70 spy feel and i think this kind of has that same feel to it which is a good thing winter soldier as we've said before is one of our favorite marvel movies so yeah if you haven't seen it yet it's definitely worth watching um so yes that's spoiler free in a nutshell all right so if you don't want spoilers hey come back later thanks for joining the geek roulette podcast we'll talk to you next time See you later. Have a good one. For everybody still gone? here? All right, good. Gone? Yep, they're all gone. If not, that's on them then. So now let's go spoiler-wise into this. Uh, going into the whole series itself, I think one of the hardest things it had to do is that WandaVision was, I think, so well-received, although many might say they dropped the ball at the end with the final episode i don't agree with that negative look towards that itself but you know i I feel it's a different type of show and i feel that there is a lot of unfair judgment i think being put on falcon and winter soldier where i think more casual fans are along the lines of well it's not as good as wandavision but they're two different shows they're addressing two different things and it's interesting when I see, you know, it's not that people say that Falcon Winter Soldier is bad, but I think they keep holding it to the expectations of WandaVision, which I think is really odd. Yeah, I mean, that being said, though, I think it's almost inevitable that the first two Marvel, you know, Disney Plus shows are going to be compared to each other. But I think you're right in that it's not really fair because they're not the same kind of shows. Like I think WandaVision very much intentionally went out to do something different to kind of go against the grain to kind of make people think and do this different thing, you know, while all while telling this whole story about grief and, you know, having to cope with that and whatnot and how Wanda was dealing with that. Whereas this is very much a, like I said, much more straightforward. Here's what's happening. You know, there might be a little bit of subtext, but it's definitely a lot, it's much more plot driven. I feel rather than, you know, having to look at it and kind of analyze what's happening and what the characters are going through. Although there's, you know, there's definitely some of that as well. I think another thing too, which makes maybe works against uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier, and it doesn't for me, but I can see why it would for some people. The political landscape in our own personal worlds right now is a pretty messed up place. There's a lot of us versus them mentalities that are being spread around. So when you have a show like this that highlights that as a focus, 
I also feel that can be a turnoff to some people that don't want something political. I think maybe that's why WandaVision was a great amount of escapism because it dealt with something wondrous and fantastical, whereas others could look at, I think, Falcon Winter Soldier, and I could see how it could alienate some people. Like, oh, man, I just want to get away from something like this. And maybe they... Yeah, that's, I think that's... that's go ahead. I, I mean, I think that's why, like, your you know movie series like John Wick do well is because... Yeah, they're just these nice, dumb action movies. They're well-made of dumb action movies, but nonetheless, they're action movies. And I think when you have a movie like or a show like this that makes you have to think, well, who is the good guy? Who is the bad guy? I think that's kind of an odd you know, thing for some people to deal with nowadays. Yeah, some people just, you know, they like to go to their entertainment and they like to just zone out and not have to think about political or the things that they have to deal with every day. And, you know, our world for the past four or five years, you know, definitely been very much that so when they come to tv you know they don't want to have to think about you know race issues or you know political you know struggles and whatnot which this show definitely has has both of those things you know and more so if you're you're looking for just pure escapism where you just you know i just want to turn on a show and watch falcon and winter soldier beat the crap out of some bad guys you're not going to get that here you're you know you're going to get that as well but you are going to have to kind of look at these issues and kind of decide what you think about them. You know, like we meet Isaiah, who is, you know, kind of Captain America before, I assume it was before Captain America, right? They, they said that, no, right? No, it was after Captain America. Okay. The, so, yeah, but I mean, after Captain America, a guy who they kind of tried to do the super, super soldier thing with and experimented on and took his blood and just, and then basically just threw him out and, you know, discarded him and stuff like that. So where he's forgotten to history and, you know, nobody really cares about what happened to him except Bucky knows about him and, you know, so you have to look at that stuff and kind of make decisions about how you feel about that. You know, I mean, that's not terribly far from, you know, things that have happened in our world, like, you know, the Tuskegee Airmen and things like that, where, you know, these are issues that people have had to deal with in their lives. And, you know, that's also the whole, you know, Washington aspect. That was also in the comics as well. He was the Captain America of the 50s, you know, definitely a successor. But, again, the government kept him more hidden and wrapped up because of the different time and different era. Um, going, let's maybe go through each episode. I mean, the first episode kind of almost reintroduces us to both, you know, what's been going on with uh, Bucky and Sam since, you know, they've come back from the blip itself. I'm going to say this. The one thing I absolutely loved about the first episode is Batrock. Yeah, we got to see good old Batrock the Leaper again in the beginning there, and he gets away, so it's possible that we will see him again in the future. Well, here's what I like, because if there is one complaint I will have about the Marvel Universe, is that about 75% of their villains die at the end of each of their movies. And that bums me out, because it doesn't build up any rivalry. It doesn't have like this back-and-forth aspect to it. So to see a reoccurring villain and somebody that just could be a constant thorn and not just, you know, Sam and a Bucky side, but everybody's side. That's why I was like, oh, good. They brought him back. And yeah, he got away because that happens so much in the comics where a guy will have a plot and the plot's foiled, but they get away to cause headaches the other day. So I at least love that element, which felt very comic book like in so many different ways. Yeah, it is. It is kind of amusing that, you know, this you know, definitely second string villain keeps getting away from, you know, whoever, Captain America, Falcon, whatever. Whereas you get these bigger guys like, you know, Red Skull and whatnot who just, you know, 
die or get captured or whatever, and you never see or hear from them again. And meanwhile, the small peanuts guys get away and live to cause headaches for another time. But it, it is good to see those recurring characters. Yeah, I think that is kind of one thing. It's a bummer to see the villains die, but at least we got Batrock now. We got Batrock. And it was a really good, well-done action sequence in the beginning of that episode. I think that was that was a nice palate cleanser, I think, almost from WandaVision, where you got some of that action that maybe wasn't always there in WandaVision and really showed the whole comic book aspect of everything. Yeah, it was really well done. I feel like each each episode's definitely had, you know, so far at least, I think we're four episodes in, has has had its action piece, which is, you know, you almost kind of expect. You can't have a show like Cap, you know, Falcon and Winter Soldier without having you know, somebody get the crap beat out of them. Um, and I feel like the scenes have been, you know, for being on, you know, streaming Disney Plus, I feel like the action scenes have been pretty well done to where they're not really, you know, they're what I would expect to see up on the big screen too. You know, I mean, you've got planes flying around, you know, these canyons and whatever, or big action scenes on top of semi-trucks going down the highway. Um, so yeah, I feel like the, the action hasn't disappointed, but it also hasn't been something that's, you know, taking away like, you know, hey, we just need to have it's it's been well positioned in the plot. I feel it's not something where it's like, OK, well, we here we have to have our five minute action scene and let's get it out of the way. You know, it's something that the plot kind of builds to. We ha- we get the nice scene and then, it, you know, that kind of helps drive the plot a little bit further on. So right. it's been it's been well done as opposed to just ham fistedly. Let's get an action shot in here. And I think it also bears noting that, you know, explaining, you know, as the episode goes on, kind of the reason why he's doing some of this work with the government is to make some money because, you know, you're gone for five years. Imagine what your credit history is like. Imagine what everything's like. That's illustrated greatly with him and his sister trying to find the money to, you know, save their, you know, houseboat or boat home as well as, you know, the business that his sister has, you know, built and developed at this point. So, it's it's an interesting line, especially, you know, when they're at the bank and you see where the line of celebrity versus person comes in the way where it's like, well, you're a hero. Doesn't Tony Stark pay you? I'm like, well, no, it's it was civic duty, which in the comics, that was always a thing where sometimes the Avengers were paid and part of the government. Other times they operated independently. And I think that's the nice illustrated difference there is you could get paid by the government, but then you have to do the government's bidding and agenda in that way, which sometimes doesn't naturally line up with everything, which is what mostly Civil War was about. Yeah. And I do feel like there were two things I think with that scene. Well, A, like not even just in here, but like in movies and TV and TV shows in general, they like to do that bank scene where it's just one guy sitting at a desk with one person sitting on the other side of the desk and like, here's your loan and I'm going to, you know, not approve you or something. Whereas like, that's not how loans are done like anywhere. Like you can do loans on, you do loans on computers and I don't know. So, I mean, I I get what the scene was trying to do, but it is kind of odd that, you know, we're going to go into this old school bank or we're going to sit behind this wooden desk and it's out in this big open area where everybody can hear you talking. But, um, but you know, it is what it is. It served a purpose and you know, that's a movie trope and TV show trope that we're just gonna have to deal with. Probably just me nitpicking. Um, and I did find it kind of interesting, like you were saying about the whole, you know, Tony Stark didn't pay you thing because you'd think as forward thinking, at least in this world as Tony Stark was, you would have some kind of like, just, I don't know, nest egg or something set up for some of the guys. I mean, obviously Thor is not going to need some kind of stipend, but, you know, somebody like Falcon or, you know, Bucky, or probably not even Bucky. I'm sure Bucky's got a big old bank account somewhere out there. But, you know, and not like I'm saying they'd be millionaires, but like, you know, hey, here's a little bit of money because you're doing the good work and I've got, you know, billions and billions, probably trillions of dollars. Well, but maybe, maybe consider this too, is that maybe back when a lot of more Avengers 
that's also where S.H.I.E.L.D. was kind of around and was more of an entity, and maybe S.H.I.E.L.D. was more of the financial backer in that sense and paid everybody and not Tony in that, you know, when you think about it. But that's a logistic. That's details. Who needs details? Yeah. Well, yeah, and that's admittedly, that's a, you know, fairly big nitpick, and, you know, it could just as easily be that Tony just didn't pay them. You see, you know, didn't think of it or just, you know, didn't want to. I don't know. Who knows? Any number of reasons, but, you know, fairly minor nitpick. So the other thing you have that's featured in that first episode is Bucky going through, you know, court, you know, mandated psychiatric help to help him adjust to not being brainwashed as well as adjusting back in reality. And it's interesting because you do get the repentant side of Bucky where you can see him trying to realize, yeah, he's done a lot of horrible things. And while it wasn't him, it's still him. The memories are still there. There is still, it, it's like being like a part in the backseat of your own brain, seeing everything happening. So it does a good job trying to explain, you know, just, Hey, he's kind of shaken, you know, off all of the, you know, programming that's inside of him. But now he still has to come to terms with what he has done as a person. And, you know, it's interesting showing him, you know, just trying to integrate back into overall life itself. You have the whole scene where Sam donates the shield and, I think we all knew where that was probably going. You know, even if you didn't follow the comics, you know the shield's not going to stay where it is. Yeah, I do remember thinking, like, you know, really, they're, they're going to actually put it in a museum where some villain can just, you know, come and steal it or something like that and use it for evil purposes, which, you know, isn't technically what, you know, I mean, I knew what was going to happen with it, but I'm like, that doesn't seem like the best idea to put this big, solid chunk of vibranium in a museum for somebody to just walk up and break the glass to. Yep. But, you so- know. So, I mean, the first episode, I think you had a really big action scene at the beginning, and you needed that because you knew that there was going to be a lot of place setting, I think, with the rest of the episode. And you know, it's not a bad thing. I think you really kind of have to, in order for sometimes a series to work, you have to find a way to invest the viewer into, you know, the characters. And I think this is a good way to do it. You know, when you, you're seeing this as a slower burn than WandaVision, I don't quite think so. I think I could see how WandaVision could have lost people easily in those first couple of episodes because it really was more of a what the hell's going on. I feel this I feel this wasn't as much a slow burn as this felt much more what's the best word? I feel it's almost like it's much more like intentional in what it's doing. Like in, in which I suppose isn't to say that WandaVision isn't, but I feel like this is much more Yeah, I don't know. I suppose it's more plotted out or it's more yeah, maybe maybe something. the better way of maybe better way to look at it is this is that WandaVision, there was nothing spoon fed about WandaVision. You kind of had to like really look hard to figure out first what was going on and understand the premise. But once you understood the rules of the world, <clears throat> then you kind of was easier to go along. Maybe you could say that there was a lot more spoon feeding. I think in uh, Captain, uh, you know, in a Falcon and Winter Soldier. But that's not, again, necessarily a bad thing because you kind of have to know what's going on elsewhere in the world. I mean, you, I think that's the biggest struggle Marvel's got to understand, and I think they're trying to address it, is you can't have this epic event like where half existence is blinked out and they come back and, oh, everything's fine, you know. I mean, it was kind of lightly handled, you know, in uh, Spider-Man Far From Home where, hey, we came back, oh, kids I went to school with are now older and you know, okay, that was one element and aspect of it, but, you know, I, I feel this was kind of that necessary episode to help them understand the world they came from and where they are now. 
Yeah, and I, I do appreciate that Marvel hasn't just like forgotten like, hey, all these half people that were, you know, half the population that was gone are now back. They're just kind of, you know, ignoring that they are addressing, you know, in Spider-Man in here. They're getting to it much more in here, and I imagine it'll, they'll expand on it more in, you know, some of the other movies. You know, like this one, I feel we're getting a really good dip. You know, there's that whole organization, the, was it the CRC or something like that? I yes. can't remember what it is. Yep. Um, that basically it's, you know, this government organization that's basically you know, made to deal with people that came back and how to help them and stuff like that. And they're, you know, but obviously when you're dealing with half the population of the world, you're going to be stretched a little bit thin. And some people don't think that's fair. And that's kind of where you get the flag smashers coming in, trying to make things, you know, the way that they feel is right. But I, I do think it's nice that Marvel's addressing that, you know, hey, you can't just bring half the population of the world back at the drop of a hat and everything's going to be hunky-dory. Yep. Second episode, uh, well, the big hook at the end of the first episode is the introduction of the new Captain America, which obviously hits both Bucky and Samwell. The second episode, the first half of that episode really deals a lot with, I think, not only, you know, John Walker, but also, I think, trying to humanize him and trying to help him understand, like, his motivations and what's going into him taking over the mantle itself. You know, he's doing interviews. You can see, like, you know almost some of the propaganda to try to help sell them, but you see the people buy it. And I think that's, that's a very important thing because people, you know, especially when you've had multiple years of hardship after everything's gone, they need a comforting symbol. So, you know, I think it's not a far fetched to think that, Hey, you know, here's captain America again. It's not your captain America, but it's captain America. But sometimes people are willing to latch on to that because it's a thing of comfort in almost some ways. So it, w I think it's an interesting way of humanizing him, which is good. So when later in the series, he's doing things that perhaps aren't so nice. Again, you see much more of a conflicted person where a per the journey of a person where John started versus, you know, where he is ending up at this point. Yeah, and I feel like he's done They did a good job in that episode of you know showing us you know what kind of you know like because you know when you think about realistically who would want to take up the role of captain america i mean you know heck i mean falcon uh why can't i think of falcon's name sam wilson there we go sam like you know sam the guy who personally knew you know steve rogers wasn't willing to do it so who's this guy who never even knew him you know what's what's motivating him to get to take up this mantle and you kind of get a little bit of that um before you do see is you know I don't want to even say slow decline because it does happen fairly quick. Um, but he, but I feel like the actor, see, and I'm horrible now. What's his name? Wyatt Russell. Yes, Kurt Russell and Goli Hansen, Um does a really good job of playing the you know a character that you you just love to hate. You know, and I think it's crazy that he's getting all these death threats and stuff for playing this character. It's like you know you're you're not supposed to like him. He's supposed to be the bad guy. He's the villain. You know, I mean, heck, nobody on the TV show likes him. You know, I mean. You know, Bucky and Falcon kind of grudgingly work with him a couple, little bit, but after that, they're kind of like, no, oh, this guy's pretty much trash, and we don't like him. And, um, but I feel like he, he's they've done a good job of this character who's kind of put in this impossible role, and you know, how do you deal with that? And he's obviously not dealing with it very well. Well, I wouldn't say that. I mean, I'd say his, his first episode really, he is holding it together. I think he's trying to establish his boundaries and his confidence and his mantle. I don't think there's really many cracks in the first episode he's in, 
But that's because also everything's kind of going his way. I, I think the trick with John Walker uh, being a Captain America is the fact that he is a man. The one thing he has a captain really didn't have as much as Captain's life went on is he has like the whole resources of the government at this point. You know, they're the government's going ass over backwards trying to give him all the materials and tools he needs to do his job as well as every promotional opportunity possible like you see him at a halftime show running out onto a football field you know waving to fans so i i the better way to put it is this i think is that his first episode is best way i would look at as the honeymoon honeymoon phase it's hey everything's great everything's good i'm captain america it's not until the future subsequent episodes when things aren't going his way and he realizes it's not enough to just have the name. It's really, it, there's so much more that goes into being Captain America and that's what just constantly chips away at him right there where it just makes him not only insecure but he keeps getting undermined by others and that's, I think, his downward fall right there is that he just was never mentally prepared for, hey, what happens when you do have that hardship can you handle it like Captain America did? No, yeah, absolutely. That first episode is definitely more, like you said, the honeymoon phase where it's, you know, we're getting to know the character. Obviously, we're not going to like him because, you know, he's not Steve Rogers and, you know, kind of the same with Sam and and Bucky. But, uh, but yeah, he does ultimately go into that decline in the next couple episodes. You have, of course, as you mentioned earlier, the uh, Isaiah Bradley, you know, being, you know, overall, you know, the unknown super soldier. And it's a great highlight of, you know, again, the things that the government did that was wrong. And also, it's an interesting callback to remember, even though S.H.I.E.L.D. was around, there was still HYDRA controlling S.H.I.E.L.D. So there was always illicit motives that were there behind giving another person the super soldier serum. And that became more evident in the Civil War when you see that there was the continuation of trying to develop super soldiers as well. So interesting move on that and ultimately i think you know one of the bigger hooks and it wasn't a surprise you knew he was coming if you followed any of the news or press on there but the end of the episode is the jailbreak of uh helmet zero pretty much good old baron zemo yeah like you said he was really under you i mean he, he was kind of the bad it, it, it's i'm seeing i'm having a hard time even talking about how they in civil war like they did a good he was the villain but he wasn't really like an in-your-face you know just you know, I'm going to take over the world. He was very much like manipulating in the background. You know, you didn't even necessarily know it was him. I feel and just, you know, really the mastermind of everything that happened in that movie. And, you know, probably ultimately one of the best villains that the Marvel universe has seen, you know, cinematic universe has seen just because he, you know, he succeeded, you know, he tore apart the Avengers and whatnot, which is exactly what he wanted to do. And it's kind of nice to see him back here, kind of still doing that, you know, that same thing, scheming and just, you know, plotting. I mean, he's, yeah, he's helping out, you know, Falcon and Bucky, but, you know, he's also, you know, he's got his own things going on. Um, and it was nice to see him grab his mask and, and put that on. So it's kind of nice to see him and the actor who plays him does a really well, good job too. So, uh, yeah, it's good to see Zemo. Who, since you're horrible with names, who's the actor? See, in that one, I don't even know that I've ever even heard. It is Daniel Brule. There we go. Yeah. That I, guy. I'll say this moving on to the third episode Brule's portrayal as Zemo it makes me feel mad about Civil War it's not that Civil War was bad the Russos did a good job with it 
but you see how much more fleshed out and developed and just how much just presence that Zemo has in that entire episode. You sit there and think, all right, this is another guy who has that same kind of almost wicked charisma that Loki has. And again, you see just the weird, I don't know, guidelines and code that he follows by. You know, but you're right. He still always has his own agenda, but there's always just almost like a cocky arrogance and a disdain he has for others. But honestly, I would say this. I would say that uh, Daniel Brühl's uh, Helmet Zero is the MVP of the series so far. No, yeah, he's definitely doing great work. Um, And like you said, I think with Loki, unlike where Loki kind of tries to fool you into thinking that, you know, hey, I'm a good guy and, you know, I'm really your friend, whereas I feel like... Zemo doesn't really even care if you think that he's your friend or not. Like he's he he's perfectly fine with you knowing that he's a bad guy, that he's scheming against you, but that doesn't mean that's going to help you. I feel like that he's just that he's like, I'm so good that I, I don't care if you know that I'm plotting against you. I'm still gonna win. I'm still gonna get you to do what I want. Um and it's just great to see, yeah, he's got a lot more to work with in this. So it's nice to see him be able to flesh that character out and just scheme. Um on a, on a small side note, do you think we're gonna see Thunderbolts at some point in the future in the Marvel Cinematic Universe? I I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, it it would make sense, but I would almost, I would almost say this. I get, and I'll I'll take a little segue. This is something I had tabled that I was going to bring up near the end. You know, after we talked about the episodes, I'm going to bring it up now. There's one thing that is already driving me nuts. And granted, this this show is only six episodes compared to the longer running Wandavision, but. I think people just can't let things be and everybody super dissects everything because you bring it up about the Thunderbolts. There's articles like, Oh, who could be in the potential Thunderbolts, you know, and they're already going, you know, mentally all out saying, Oh yeah, Zemo must be forming the Thunderbolts. Well, why can't he form the masters of evil? That's who were there before, you know, the yeah. Thunderbolts. And I, I think the whole speculation thing, because another element of like the third episode is that they meet the power broker who's in Matapur. And if you know anything about that, that is a huge X-Men location. So everybody's like, this is what could lead to the introduction of like Logan, or this could introduce mutants, or this could do this. Yeah. Like, why can't it just be a place? It could be. Yeah, a and pl- I have to agree. I've, I've been seeing a lot of that too. I mean, even all the way through WandaVision, it was like, oh, it's Quicksilver. This is going to be our, you know, the X. Like, I feel like now that Marvel has X Men and Fantastic Four, it was, you know, oh, the, the secret person is going to be, you know, Mr. Fantastic. And that's how we're going to get the Fantastic Four. It's like, you know, as much as I brought up like Thunderbolts, like it, you know, like I, you know, it'd be cool to see him down the line somewhere, but I honestly don't care. Um, Masters of Evil probably actually would be a better, you know, thing to see first, at least. Um, but yeah, I mean, people do see like Matapur and like, oh my God, Wolverine hung out there. This is, you know, look in the background. Let's see if we can find the character, the actor who's playing Wolverine. It's like, you know, it's it's okay. It's the Marvel Universe. It's a big place. And, you know, we can go to Matapur without it having to be about the X-Men, you know. Now, if we go to like Xavier's mansion, then yes, that's probably a pretty big hint that the X-Men are around. But, you know, in the meantime, if we just go to Matapur or, you know, I mean, heck, I'm surprised when they were down in Louisiana, they weren't like, oh, my God, we're going to see Gambit down there. And, you know, it's like, it's, it's OK. It's a big world. There's lots going on. I think, they're, you know, when we when we finally get to where we're going to get Fantastic Four and X-Men, I don't think it's going to be a subtle thing. I think it's going to be fairly, fairly obvious when they do it. Yeah. So, I mean, that that's only one thing I just wanted. I mean, the amount of insane speculation I'm seeing. And, again, like, I think the worst offenders are is that there's so many, like, clickbait news sites, like, 
some of your sites you see out there tend to be a bit more reserved. Like, you know, some of your like bleeding cool, you know, they'll be a little bit more, you know, reserved about it or, you know, newsarama. I think it's when you get to like some of your ones like, you know, IGN as an example or Nerdist, those two love to kind of overread into things, unfortunately. And then you have all these like weird fringe sites. And again, you know, with something like this, I think that's always the hardest part about comic book fans is they always want to be the smartest person in the room. They see something like, oh, I know what this means. This means that this is going to happen. No, it doesn't mean that. It's just that that's what you want to happen. I think that's why so many people I feel were really disappointed with WandaVision and the whole ending of it is that, oh man, they didn't bring Doctor Strange in or, oh man, there was no Mr. Fantastic because everybody's own personal fan theories didn't come out. So, you know, just a quick segue to the whole thing about the Thunderbolts or Matterport and all of that. It's like, just watch it. Let them see where they're going to take you. They'll get there. Just wait. Yeah, I think that's a problem with fandom in general is that they like to figure out what they think is going on, and then when that doesn't happen, they get super disappointed as opposed to just going along for the ride and taking it as it comes. So you also have, in the third episode, the reintroduction of Sharon Carter, and you find out that things weren't going as well for her because she was disgraced and kicked out of, you know, S.H.I.E.L.D. in many ways and found sought after by the government. And she went more onto the espionage and, espionage and black market side of things. So definitely an interesting contrast that, yeah, not everybody's welcome back with open arms. And she kind of openly has that disdain about, you know what, you guys, great, came back. The government still hates me. And it, I think it was a good point to bring up just, again, it's kind of that whole political aspect of things that, you know, unfortunately... There, there's different sides to it, and that sometimes you could do the right thing, but unfortunately, then you're kind of branded as the wrong person because of you doing that. Yeah, it was it was nice to see her back. You know, she kicked a lot of butt. And it was nice to see her in a different setting. Um, you know, if I hadn't seen her in the trailers and whatnot, I would have been, you know, pretty surprised to see her show up, and especially in Mattapur of all places. Um, but yeah, definitely a nice example of somebody that the government just you know like oh you're not super famous so we don't care so we're going to use you as a scapegoat for you know this stuff that went wrong whereas these other people that are probably more responsible oh they're heroes so you know who cares we'll let them get by and she's there and essentially you know zemo they're trying to help find an individual called the power broker the power broker being someone who help commission, you know, the a scientist to try to recreate the super soldier serum. And that's where, of course, your contacts get killed. They find the scientist who does it. But Zemo, again, he has his own code. And he's like, nope, sorry. You're right now making something I don't want. So he just kills him. He's like, I don't care about what you have to say. You're an enemy, so I do it. So it's. I think the only plot hole I have in this whole matter is this. Not plot hole, the thing that just, you know, Bucky and Sam are really forgiving Azimo at this point. I mean, after that, like, I mean, I think the whole thing, like, after that, like, well, I'm still on your side. I helped you out by killing some of these guys. Okay, cool. You want to go back to the hotel? And it's like, wait, what? All right. Yeah, they do seem to be willing to look a lot the other way with a lot of stuff that Zemo's doing, you know, which some of you can kind of be like, okay, whatever. It's, a, you know, maybe a means to justify the ends, but we just flat out murders a guy right in front of them which granted he's not exactly a stand-up guy but you know you think they could have gotten some more information out of him or or something but you know what are you gonna do 
Now, let me ask this question. And again, I'm not trying to get into the super speculation things, but it would make sense, and some people are asking about it, is Sharon the power broker? I don't think so. I think it seemed that they kind of implied that the power broker has been around a lot longer and that, you know, I think she's just more somebody who's operating underneath them, kind of hopefully, you know, maybe not necessarily underneath their notice, but, you know, like small time enough to maybe not draw their, you know, their ire. I mean, I suppose it, she could be, I suppose. I mean, it'd be kind of an oh. interesting twist, but I think the power broker seems to have a lot more power and is into a lot more bad things that I think she would, you know, then she's willing to go, you know, she's dealing with stolen art and stuff like that, which is fairly low key and doesn't really hurt anybody in the long run. But it also is a way of introducing. I mean, I I look at it this way. Yeah. She's dealing with stolen art, but it also gets her contacts. Contacts gets you information. Information gets you power. And to your whole point about being along, you know, not her being not, you know, a power broker and being along for a while. It in the Marvel universe, it's been almost several years since she was kicked out of, uh, you know, Shield and the entire government in general. Yeah, because the, the blip was what five, five years. years. Was it? This takes place about six, seven months after the blip, and then you have, of course, the you know period of time between Civil War and, of course, you know the whole Infinity War. So she could yeah, have I set mean, things she, up. She could be. I don't think, you know, unless we get something more conven- convincing than just pure speculation i'd be a little bit more you know i i think if she was the power worker too she wouldn't be as concerned with getting on shields good terms or with america's you know the american government's good good side like she'd just be like a screw it i don't care i'm the power broker i've got i've got everything i need over here what the hell do i care if i go back to america or not well and i'm gonna bring out this point too going to the comics and again not saying it's gonna have to happen but in the comics she also was brainwashed as well by hydra and worked for them for a period of time as well so given how hydra's influences were and everything you know, maybe one character we get introduced to is like Dr. Faustus, you know, who is, you know, notorious psych, you know, psychological manipulator at this point. But I'm not saying if that happens, it doesn't. But I feel, I almost feel like with her, like everybody's looking, well, who's going to be the bad guy? Who's going to be the bad guy, you know, behind all of this? I almost feel like, you know what, maybe they're just showing their hand early and we don't want to admit it because it seems too obvious. It could be, but I think this this show I don't think is about having like the villain, you know, I mean, I think this is more about showing, you know, where the world is at here, what, you know, what these people are doing. I think it's getting us, you know, in Bucky's head, in Sam's head and where they're at, you know, I think it's, it's ultimately, I think about how Sam's going to come to accept the, you know, being Captain America or whatever his version of it ends up being here. Um, But is Sam going to, is it going to be Sam or is it going to be Bucky? I think that's the one thing I look at is that it's easy to sit there and say, well, Sam's going to take over as Captain America. Bucky could take over as well, too. I don't think there's a clear path for either of those two, and it really depends on a lot of things. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and that dawned on me, too, is that, you know, like, you know, Sam could be like, you know, no, Bucky, you know, you knew Sam a lot, or not Sam, you knew Steve a lot better than I did. You know, you've been through a lot of the same things he did, and, you know, that could be his you know, his closure on it or something like that, you know, it it totally could. And I'd be behind that, you know, as well. I think I'll be curious to see where, you know, who's going to be end up, ended up being the one with the shield at the end. And and are they going to have the government's blessing? Are they going to be kind of a rogue agent out kind of doing their own thing as Captain America, you know, but more vigilante style. Right. And then at the end of the third episode, we have a introduction of another established character as uh, Io from a, 
uh, Black Panther shows up, and she was conf- she was she in the movies before the Black Panther movie? Yeah. Okay, I did, and I didn't remember. I just she, she was not only in Black Panther; she was in she was in a lot. She was in Infinity she's not, Wars. She's not a. She was the bodyguard um, to the queen, as well as. Wow, you might need to rewatch Black Panther. I might. The you only one do. I remember is the main. Uh, what's her name? O- o- I can't pronounce her name. It's like Okayo or whatever. The one that. Uh, see, here comes my bad, bad, bad actors and actresses knowledge again. Michonne. Yeah. Any. You just rewatch yes. it. Just rewatch <laughs> it. Don't, don't, don't stumble over it. We'll segue this into the fourth episode. So the fourth episode, the most recent one coming out is. You know, her giving Bucky, hey, you know what? We want Zemo because he killed the king. And he's like, give me some time. Again, an odd thing like, all right, you can have some time. It's like, you know what? I don't know, man. Your king gets killed by a guy and everything. It's it's odd. That- yeah, the, the, the Dora Milaje don't seem like the type that's like, eh, okay, yeah, take your time. You know, we can wait. Like, they'd be like, no, I, I, I don't care. We're going to go get him. Screw you. I, I almost just feel like, you know. The amount of leash being given to like Doctor, you know, to like Helmet Zero is amazingly long, <laughs> <laughs> and which is great because it lets him chew up more scenes. So hey, power for that. I have no problems with that. But have, have some Turkish delight, right? And you know, Walker shows up, and you know, as he's he's heavily frustrated at this point. He's been essentially undermined nonstop by both. Sam, Bucky, but also he's seen an escaped villain that right now is assisting him. He's seen like other people, you know, of other countries right now openly defying him. Obviously, episode four is where you see all the cracks coming out where he is just, he wants to be in control. He wants to be the man, but he feels probably he's just being cheated, you know, treated like a, you know, you know, B level guy at this point. And And, and to his point, though, I will say, like, if you almost, Look at it from his point of view. You've got these two guys who are essentially rogue operatives. They broke this, you know, mastermind criminal out of jail. You know, when you look at it from his point of view, like, is he super wrong for being, like, kind of pissed off and frustrated with him? I mean, you know, he's he's on the side of the law. He's doing what he's supposed to be doing. And, you know, you've got these two guys who maybe they have good intentions, but they're ultimately just, you know, vigilantes, essentially. Um, so it's kind of interesting when you look at it from that point of view, like, you know, yeah, he's maybe overreacting a bit, but at the same time, like, you know, he's basically just trying to do what he thinks is right and maybe just you know if he wasn't quite so rigid with it he'd maybe get better results out of you know sam and bucky but you know when you look at it from a certain point of view he's not necessarily entirely wrong and i I don't disagree he's not wrong in the sense that yes hey all this stuff that i'm supposed to be in charge of is being just openly defied so you're right i think the difference is is this is that this is an individual who has been said, you're Captain America. So in his head, I'm Captain America. You got to listen to me because I'm Captain America. And I feel that almost that was like his shield almost in his own personal way is that title itself. Like you got to listen to me because I'm the cap now. All right. That's great. But these guys don't have any history with you. And I think that's obviously where they're openly defying him because they're seeing a guy that, you know, yes, you may have done great achievements before, but on that same token right there, we have fought gods, we have fought aliens, we have fought all these things, and it's hard when you have, like, it's almost like, you know, essentially being a cop, and, you know, 
you're fighting alongside like special forces and you're like, well, I'm a cop. I can help. But these special forces guys have seen and done so much more. And yeah, I, I think it's, it's a lot like we've all worked with like managers or bosses who've come in and on day one, they're just this domineering, like you're going to listen to me because I'm the manager rather than coming in and being like, like earning people's respect and, and getting that respect because of the hard work and what they see you do, you know, you just come in and demand it as opposed to earn it. I think that it's kind of that same situation. He's coming in and demanding respect and demanding, like, I'm going to be in charge. You're going to do what I say because I have this title as opposed to because you've actually seen me do anything to earn it. You know, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's very similar to what, like, I feel like a lot of people see at work a lot of times. And, you know, the whole scenario in the whole episode is that, they're trying to track down Carly and Sam finds her and does, you know, have an earnest conversation with her and is making progress, which is all undone just because again, the insecurities of Walker, like I, you know, it's like, this is supposed to be my operation and I'm being dictated to. And again, it's that insecurity. So a huge fight breaks out between, you know, Carly and, you know, you know, you see Sam and you see Walker and Walker getting his ass kicked by these enhanced people, even he said, you know, gets mad because, oh no, what what stemmed it off was him getting beat up first by uh, uh, the Dora Majori, was the fact that you know here's people without powers that are beating my ass. I'm Captain America, and he realized that again just eats at him because that shows really how insecure he is. So then he gets his ass beat again, then by of course all these enhanced people and. It just drives him nuts. So when Zemo destroys all of the serum save but one and he takes it, you know, he, for him, he feels that in order to be Captain America, like Steve Rogers was, he needs to have the power. And once he does that, that power is going to back what he does. And it's, it's the whole thing like, you know, I have a gun, so if I have a gun, I have the power. No, not necessarily. You just have a tool. It doesn't necessarily mean you have the power. You can inflict harm, but it's what you do as a person that makes more sense. But that's something that Walker just doesn't get. Yeah, he just doesn't grasp it. He, you know, to go back to the earlier, it's he has the title, and you know, if nobody's giving him respect. Nobody's doing anything on. So he's like, okay, well, if they're not going to respect the title, maybe I need the power that Steve had to go along with it. You know, maybe maybe then they'll respect me, and then they'll listen to me, and you know, that obviously does not end up being the case because he just he loses it. So, you know, he has, and he has a whole talk about, you know, with uh, his friend, God, um, Hoskins about, you know, well, what would, if you had the serum, would you take it? And both of them, you know, say, oh yeah, I would take it and everything, you know, and it's funny because it's an interesting callback to uh, Captain America, the first Avenger, when they're, you know, Dr. Erskine's talking to Steve about the serum, and he's like, well, it changed me. And it's like, no, you're you. It's just going to make you more of who you are. And, you know, even like when you're at the boot camp, you know, he's having a talk with uh, Tommy Lee Jones' character and everything. And it's like, you know, even Tommy Lee Jones, well, we should pick that guy because he's a good soldier, listens and takes orders. And even Erskine's like, you know what? That's not what I'm looking for. It's the person. It amplifies who that person is and an element. And ultimately, you see that once uh, Rob, uh, John Walker takes the you know thing, you see that it enhances who he is as a person. It enhances his insecurities, and then it makes him feel that the power that he has is ultimately what righteous, what is righteous, which isn't. It's just power. Yeah, well, and even even in that same episode, I think it's 
Bucky asked Sam, he's like, you know, if you had the opportunity to take the, you know, the super soldier serum, would you? And Sam's like, you know, no. He's like, I don't want that. Like, it's, you know, that, yeah, I, I forget his, what his specific reason is, but he, he basically says like, no, that's not something I want. Um, which it was kind of interesting to contradict where he says no. And then, you know, Hoskins, who I think is any battle star, I want to say. Yes, he is. Um, you know, him and John Walker sitting at that, and, you know, and like you said, you know, he asked me, Hey, if you had the opportunity to take it, he's like, well, yeah, absolutely. I would, you know, so it kind of shows how, you know, they've both got different mindsets on how, how to approach, you know, problems and things, you know, they, that one thinks that having this power will help you fix the problem. The other's like, you know, no, I know that's not going to help me fix things that might actually make things worse. Ultimately, they track down the Flag Smashers. A huge fight breaks out. This time, you know, even even Sam recognizes, wait a minute, what's wrong? He has all this power now and probably pieced together that now Walker has the super soldier serum inside of him at this point. You know, unfortunately, during the course of the fight, Hoskins dies. And with that, that just was the last bit to put over, you know, put Walker over the edge. I mean... Hoskins, let's say, was almost his morality. I mean, there's various points. He he was even trying to temper Walker in some ways, like, hey, we should maybe listen to these guys, and I think that maybe even drove Walker more insane. So he lost his anchor, and he really goes off the deep end, and guess what? Cap does what Cap never really does, unless you count the, all the aliens that he did it to in all those other movies, is that Cap doesn't kill. <laughs> you know, and he kills off one of the members of the Flag Smashers with his shield in front of a crowd, recording him with a camera, and yeah. Yeah, and that's where the episode ends. I mean, and it's, you know, it, you knew right when he was chasing me, like, oh, this isn't going to end well, and sure enough, you know, you know, stops him in front of like a fountain or a statue or something and just, you know, darn near decapitates him or heck, maybe he did decapitate him and they didn't even show that, but I think he buried it in his chest. Yeah. That was kind of what it looked like, but it, you know, there's blood all over the shield and you know, there's this huge scene around him, which, you know, just like if it were to happen today, you know, that everybody's got their cell phone out and they're taking pictures and recording video. And after he's done with it, he kind of looks around and you can kind of tell that he's like, Oh, shit Mm -hmm. this isn't good this isn't gonna go well and then that's where the episode ends and i'll be real curious to see how you know the u.s government and whatnot handle this and what ends up happening to him and you know it's obviously probably gonna make him go more nuts and you know i don't know maybe he's gonna run off and go rogue or who knows and two episodes left i think you know obviously they're gonna have to deal with that whole aftermath of this and again i think there will be a Captain America that will be, you know, either Bucky or Sam. It's a matter of which way they go at this point. And, you know, it's hard. I, I feel if if I had to put my money on which two becomes Captain America, honestly, I feel Bucky because I feel Sam is strong enough on his own as Falcon. I feel, though, for Bucky's redemption arc, he has to probably almost take the mantle. But that's just me. Yeah, I think I'd be good either way, but I think you are right. I think where you say, like, if you'd asked me, you know, a month ago, I probably would have went with Falcon just because he's, you know, Sam's the one that Cap gave the shield to. But I think you're right with the whole, you know, Bucky playing off, you know, I need to go find all these people that I wronged and, you know, make it right somehow. I think he might, you know, however it ends up happening, he might see taking up the mantle of Captain America as, you know, this is a way I can help everyone, not just the people that I you know, personally, you know, because basically I, I wronged the entire world, you know, and how else can I help the entire world? What better way to do that than take up the mantle and, 
you know, help everybody and maybe him and Sam kind of work alongside each other, Matt. I'd, I'd be good either way it goes. I think, you know, would maybe narratively make more sense. It's like you, you said for Buck, you take it. But if Sam ends up getting it, I'm you know, not going to complain either. I, I think my wish list over the last two episodes is this. One, don't kill Zemo. Please stop killing all your best villains. Let him... Maybe put him yeah. back in jail, or you know what? He he already escaped, and I was gonna say, yeah, he's already gone. He's because he what disappeared down a, a sewer drain or something, didn't right. he? We haven't seen him since then. So yeah, I think I'm, I'm assuming he's getting away scot free, and we're, we probably won't even see him these last two episodes. And again, I think there's a lot of different ways if you leave Zemo in play that you can still use him. I mean, you still have the upcoming Black Panther and Wakanda movie. They still have the mad hate on for Zemo, so it's a great way to integrate that into play. You know, I I think if you're not gonna introduce, you know, Magneto or Evil Mutants or even Doctor Doom right away, I think Zemo is probably one of the better ways to introduce it. The only thing that works against you know Zemo becoming a bigger villain is you look at the slate of movies that's right now lined up. It's a lot more cosmic based movies. Which doesn't yeah. really play into his playground, unfortunately. No, but I could see him be, you know, maybe slowly building up, like you said, the Masters of Evil, and maybe they're what end up being the next, you know, like the next generation of Avengers, like their first challenge because it's more Earthbound. You know, it's something that, you know, when you don't have Thor, Captain America, and Iron Man helping him out, it's a little bit more grounded a threat for him. I don't know if that's a realistic thing to put in Avengers 4 or 5 after, you know, you've done Endgame and if that's a logical way to go or if you'd you know if you'd have to do that in a more you know maybe do that in captain america 4 when bucky or you know falcon or whoever takes up the mantle maybe that's what you do there i don't know but yeah zemo definitely needs to stick around which i th- i think he will um you know who you could hire you could bring who? on bat rock <laughs> he could bring on bat rock come on bat rock's got at this point got to have a mad hate on for all the well, avengers who- who else was in the Masters of Evil? Was that well? That wizard was in there, wasn't he? Uh, Absorbing Man was in there. Uh, yeah. Doctor Hyde, or Mister Hyde, was in there. Was he's, he? Yeah, he was I the one that beat Master of Evil, being a bunch of fairly lame villains, which doesn't mean they'd have to use the same ones. They could obviously go their own way. Well, they had so many different iterations, though. Hang on, Masters yeah. of Evil. Here we go, Internet members. Uh, oh, there was Egghead. You had Egghead, John. Ooh. Uh, Zemo, uh, Titania, who was with Absorbing Man, Screaming Mimi, who eventually would go on to become Songbird, uh, Whirlwind, Beetle. Wow. Yeah. Know, Bunch Mis- of Mr. Hyde, Wrecker, uh, Blackout. So, so basically Zemo and a bunch of third string villains. Well, it like as an example, like Pile Driver, Thunderball, it was like the Wrecking Crew was a big yeah, part of the Masters of Evil. Well, I was never a big fan of. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, well, Claw was in there, but well, Claw's dead because we got to kill all the bad guys. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I think that'd be that'd be an interesting thing. So there was. Did you get through your two? You said two things you wanted by the end of it. Was uh, that both of them? That that I think that's one thing I want to see is just don't kill Zemo. I think the other thing too is that. You have to... So let me ask this. Are there still the Avengers? As of now, I don't think so. Not not as we have 
traditionally thought of them, I don't think, or at least as it has been traditionally thought of in the movies. Um, you know, because Thor's running around the universe with the Guardians of the Galaxy, Iron Man's dead, Captain America's presumably retired somewhere and not, you know, not doing that life obviously anymore. Hulk's you crippled. Know, What's that? Hulk's crippled. He his arm was blasted by the Infinity Gauntlet when he did the snap. Yeah. Um, you know, WandaVision and Wanda and Vision are obviously not, you know, doing that at the moment. So um I, so I don't think so. There might, you know, that might be something where we get it in the near future. Maybe we they start building another Avengers, but I don't think they exist in it currently. And I have, I think that's ultimately, and maybe it's not going to be this phase, and even maybe next phase, you kind of have to start bringing it back. But the Avengers are too big of a name just to kind of put them on the sideline. So if I, I think the one thing I'd like to see is that finding a way to try to bring back the Avengers in some way. And again, it doesn't have to be now. It's not going to be this phase, but. I mean, let's say if you had Bucky be Captain America, you got Falcon, all right? You got two people right there. Um, you still have Scott Lang, you know, as Ant-Man. He's, you know, there in the mix. Yeah, if he'd be you... decent. I think you'd end up having whoever um, whoever ends up taking up the Black Panther mantle. Right. You you could have that. I, obviously, we have the Black Widow movie coming, and it feels like they'll be using having a successor to Black Widow be generated from that. So maybe you have somebody there. I, I think the I think that, you know, you have the Hawkeye series, you know, I think it's going to be a slow path to rebuilding the band of the Avengers at this point. And I think, you know, especially as I going back to what I was saying, you have a lot more mythical and cosmic based movies coming out in Marvel's, you know, next lineup over yeah. this next year or so. So I think the Avengers, they're going to definitely keep on a back burner. And it's not a bad I, thing, I think. No, I think you know you let them cool down for a bit. I think almost I could almost see them too doing it where it's more a a rotating roster, like you know you have one movie and maybe a couple of people from the Eternals come in to help out, you know, and it's kind of like the Avengers, but it's almost you know you have maybe two or three, four maybe members that are permanently there, whoever they might be. But then you have a couple, you know, Captain Marvel shows up for an, a movie, and maybe one of the Eternals, maybe Shang Chi comes in, Doctor Strange, who you know he's typically thought of as an Avenger, you know, I mean. Maybe you'd do that where it's a rotating, like, hey, here's our threat. You know, who are we going to go out to get to be, you know, to be an Avenger for whatever this, you know, big world or galaxy threatening thing is. And who's going to help us with that? You know, okay, event, you know, Captain Marvel's an Avenger for, you know, a movie or something like that. I can almost see them doing that. Yeah, I, I think ultimately I want them at least, you know, show that, hey, it's going to come back, but it doesn't have to right away. I, I think when you consider how big of a moment the Avengers had at Endgame, almost being an end of a chapter, you know, and I I think, again, I think that's part of the problem that Marvel has right now is so many people want them to rush right back into, oh, there's going to be the Fantastic Four, oh, there's going to be the X-Men, there's going to be all these things, and it's like, it's great, but, you know, and you can't throw away also what's already been established, and I think that's ultimately going to be, I think, one of the biggest problems that Kevin Feige and uh, Marvel has is that, I mean, their first Marvel movie came out in 2008. We're talking 13 years later. You're going to have a lot of actors that are going to start aging out of the ability to play some of the roles that they're doing. So I think that's the hard thing is that they can eventually replace the original Avengers, but I still think you can't sideline the whole concept altogether. No, absolutely not. And I think I think we will see them, 
like we're getting, I think this next phase seems to be a lot of what phase one was where it's, you're getting introduced to a lot of new characters. You know, some of them might be Avengers. Some of them might not be. Some of them will just be, you know, Hey, here's a side character that we can have show up from time to time. Um, you know, we also, you know, it bears worth mentioning that we're going to be getting a new Thor with uh, Jane Foster and Natalie Portman. So, you know, she could be in there too. So I think it's it's going to be a lot of just, it's, it'll be more of a slow burn, I think, whereas phase one was definitely like, you know, you got an Iron Man movie, you got a Thor movie, you got, a, you know, all these movies that were clearly building the Avengers, whereas I think it's going to be a little bit more, you know, like maybe out know, of this next phase, two or three of those movies might tie directly into the next Avengers team, whatever that iteration is, but it's not going to be every single movie is you know, an Avenger. It may be the better way to look at it too. Just like how the Marvel toy line they had, you'd have like those different series, you know, toy lines where you have several characters, but then each of those characters had a piece where it was build a character. You know, I almost feel like, you know, that's kind of what they almost need to do with this next phase or so with Marvel is, yeah, we'll introduce all these new elements, but we're going to have one piece and eventually these pieces are going to come together and reform the Avengers. And I, I almost feel that's almost the approach you have to take. You know, I mean, you have Captain Marvel who could become an Avenger or you have Monica Rambeau and all of a sudden she instead becomes an Avenger, you know? So maybe that's what kind of WandaVision did is it's already introduced. Hey, here's one of our, you know, upcoming Avengers. You just don't know it. Same thing. If Bucky becomes cap, you know, you have now Shang-Chi, you know. So I think they can piece, start piecemealing back the Avengers together. And they have the people there. But it's also, well, I think ultimately what I don't want them to do is I don't want them to do what G.I. Joe and Transformers did. Where in their cartoon series, they when they had a new line of figures come out, they phased out all the old figures and all like they stopped showing up in the cartoons altogether, except for a few, because you had to show all these new characters. And all of a sudden, you know, another line came out, and again, more characters are phased out just to make room for the new characters. I think I don't want Marvel to lose the rich history of what they have, you know, by sitting there saying, "All right, here's all our new characters. We don't need to focus on the old ones." Well, no, don't put them out the pasture. Just be smart about how you use them. Yeah, I think that it, and they've shown, I think that they've done a pretty good job of slowly phasing them out. You know, like we're not going to get a Thor 4 with Chris Hemsworth as Thor in it, but he's still going to kind of be there in the Guardians of the Galaxy or wherever. So I think it'll, I think they'll slowly phase them out where we might not get as much of that character, but he's still around and can show up when, you know, they feel like they need that extra little punch for, you know, to have him there. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, anything else you want to add or? No, I don't think so. I am good. Well, that's the first four episodes, all found on Disney+. Plus. Uh, we have two episodes left, and then we have, I believe... Lakers next in June, isn't it? Yeah, or isn't it May? May or June. I want to say it was June. Something else comes out. Oh, Bad Batch from Star Wars comes out in June. Or May, I mean. And I don't think they would, you know, granted Bad Batch isn't going to be as big of a draw as, as Loki is, but I'm no. pretty sure Loki's next. June 11th. So yeah. I, I think the other thing, too, is I think what was supposed to be the whole May thing was Black Widow until they pushed it back to July. Yeah, that's probably, yeah, you're probably right. Yeah, so I, I think that's, again, just in a COVID world at this point. So, you know, you'll have that a few weeks until Loki. And, again, I think Loki is going to be 
probably a, maybe a more popular series than Winter so uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier because it'll again it looks like it's going into the weird absurd aspect of the Marvel universe, especially dealing with all their time travel shenanigans. Yeah, I'll be curious to see where that goes. I watched that trailer that came out last week or the week before, and it uh it looks interesting. So I'll be curious to see what they do with that one. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think that covers everything. Uh, think if you're listening to this latest episode again, please feel free to review us on whatever platform you listen to, and we'll uh we'll be back with more, and you'll listen to us. And hey, see, I only sang in the beginning of the episode. I didn't sing in the back end. Good job. Way to not do it on the back end. Well, that's way to do it in the back end. All right. Oh, so, yeah. that being said, I am Mike Spragle. And I am John Lundquist. Thank you for joining us. Yes, everybody. Have a good one.